0: Sitcom geeks. I'm Dave Cohen and I'm James Carey. Joining us today is a comedy writing phenomenon uh, who, who's uh, written for everyone and everything. He's written sketches, songs, sitcoms and jokes, zillions of them. Uh, anytime you've laughed at the host jokes on Hignify, have I got news for you that thats uh, they think it's all over, never mind the buzzcocks. There's a 62% chance it was written by our guest. And uh, he's now best known for two sitcoms he's written with Jack Dee, uh, the highly acclaimed Lead Balloon and uh, the currently being highly acclaimed and on ITV hit Bad Move. Please welcome Pete Sinclair. Hello. Pete as well. Well, That's one of the best introductions. It's a very good introduction. I I can tell you two go back
1: a long way. (laughs) The three liars? Are we talking? We were in a double act called the Three Liars, and believe it, that was that was our best joke. If we if we went on and didn't get a laugh for that, I really think with hindsight we should just have gone good (laughs) night, which did
0: happen once as well. It did happen. Yeah. 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 So Pete
1: uh, has, I mean,
0: Pete has just worked for everybody and everything all the time. We met. And we're saying that that's
2: a good thing, by the way, because you might make it sound like a shameless (laughs) comedy task.
0: that's that's
1: That's what it (laughs) is.
2: But uh, but it's worth making the point, though, actually. Um, I was thinking earlier that, you know, Pete, you are a successful comedy writer, and yet it probably doesn't feel like you're a successful comedy writer, and that every year you're basically scrapping
1: for the next thing absolutely I mean Dave and I we probably were doing Weekending it must be nearly 35 years ago I was thinking of that when I was coming in here <laughs> yep. and I honestly still think oh I hope I'm going to make it I <laughs> honestly do still think that I wow. sort of think with this latest sitcom now if that was to become an absolute classic that would be that would be really really good and I'd feel like I've made it you know yeah. but um, as you say it is a question of getting by and in between um, Lead Balloon which last went out in 2011 um, and now there have been Times when I felt, oh my god, I'm on a tightrope, don't look down. What do I do if I don't get another sitcom commissioned? And as you get older, those gigs on the panel shows and what have you get uh, fewer and further between and harder mm-hmm. to get. So, yeah. what happens if the next sitcom doesn't happen? So, uh, it's yeah. it can be scary. Yeah,
0: I do remember again, so quite early on, I was more doing stand up at this time, you were doing writing and. Um, uh, any any writing job that came along, people go, oh, fantastic! Here's a writing job on the, that big telly thing, and um, I think it was something like Ross Abbott or something came along, and uh, or, or some some such. And I remember you saying, oh, they asked me to write for that, but I just thought. It's not really my
1: style. I turned Um, it down, I must admit, Russ Abbott, I did. I accidentally got a sketch on there once when it was... (laughs) (laughs) It it was submitted... I'll tell you how (laughs) it was. It was submitted to Rory Brember, and it was entirely someone else's idea. I suspect it might have been Dick Fosborough, the old uh, gag writer. um, And uh, he uh, had come up with an idea, which I literally went, oh, that's funny. And he said, oh, write it up with me, Pete. And so we wrote it up for Rory. It didn't get on for Rory. He then said you know that sketch we wrote, can I submit it to Russ Abbott? And I thought, if I say on principle I'm not writing for Russ Abbott, and it's his idea, yeah. I really am going to look like yeah. a dick. So yeah. so um, I actually look like a Dick Vosborough. So basically I um, I ended up getting one sketch on Russ Abbott. But other than that, I was in those days, I was very, um, like, you know, tub-thumping. I wouldn't write for the headlines No, no, the headlines I I had to write for Weekending, the political one that would bring oh, down yes. the government. Yes, you yes, know? yes. Radio so, 4, sticking it to the man. <laughs> exactly to Radio oh, 2 oh, he's the man and, and
0: it, it's yeah. true that actually I think I would say probably seven years after we started writing for Weekending Margaret Thatcher was deposed so <laughs> that exactly. was and, uh, all uh, our, was our doing all I think, our, our
2: doing, doing. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so <laughs> yeah but it is interesting just going back you say a lot of people listening to the show thinking how do I make it as a writer and yet here we are we've all been doing this for 15, 20, 30 years and we all feel like any minute now <laughs> <laughs> You're going to basically get sent back to the factory where everybody else has to work, and it was fun while it lasted. <laughs> You'll get
1: found out. Exactly. You'll get that's, found out. And that yeah. doesn't go away, and that is well worth knowing. Exactly. Mm. But I guess yeah. it, it concentrates the mind, it focuses you, and you know you do look back and think, well, yeah, but I haven't a living yeah. for the last 35 years as a writer, so you know it is possible, even though it's always scary that it might not happen next yeah. year. You know. Can,
0: yeah. can I uh, ask then? Th- if we will start to about bad move now. So in between lead balloon and bad move, what
1: did, did you you were presumably pitching lots of other ideas? Yes, um, I had a, I had a few um, ideas and I had a few script commissions. I think one thing that happened after Lead Balloon, I naively assumed, well, we've done four series of Lead Balloon, it was quite well received. and things um, like that. Well, this is the hilarious thing: we didn't win a single award. Oh, really? We didn't. And there was one time I never intervene in forums when yeah. they're discussing things, but there was a comedy forum where there was a heated debate about whether Lead Balloon deserved all the awards it had got, and some were saying it did, and some were saying it didn't, and I just wanted to go point of order: we didn't. Win any bloody awards? Stop, stop arguing <laughs> over whether we deserve them. Yeah. We, were, we were nominated a few times, um, but we didn't actually uh, actually win any. So um, I think we fell in that slot where we were neither a really mass success but despised by everyone. Sitcom, you know, yeah. or one of those no one really watches it but it wins all the awards going and all the yeah. critics love it. So Berlin was in that sort of. BBC one and a half sort of area where we were kind of A.A. Gill liked it A.A. Gill liked it
2: I'm slightly obsessed with A.A. Gill as
1: you know Um, so the critics generally were kind to it Um, but um, what happened with uh, after Lead Balloon was I had sort of thought well Jack and I should write our next thing together and maybe maybe a sort of comedy drama thing or something like that so I had plans and I thought well we've got enough kind of um, credit in the bank to sort of be hopefully given a chance to do something like that maybe a pilot or something and then Jack um, just you know it's just an emotional thing he thought I want to do stand up again I'm Mm -hmm. fed up with this I'm fed up with nine months of kind of writing and filming and editing and promoting and then hoping you get a nice review in the in the uh, papers he thought I want to get up stand up say a joke and hear a huge laugh from an audience Mm -hmm. Um, so he actually did go off to doing that. And even though I'm sort of slightly involved, I write some material with Jack for, for his um, mm. sitcom stuff. It's not, sorry, stand-up stuff. It's not like writing a sitcom where we are co-writers. Mm. So that was an actually uh, quite a major kind of hiccup to my plan. And so I then was this, had to think... Was this acknowledged in your... Because, I mean, how does your... All- How did you end up writing with Jack Dee in the first place? Um, Well, it's a strange one. I wrote for his Jack Dee's Happy Hour was the first thing that I was involved with, which uh, myself and about three or four other writers were working on as sort of you know writers with uh, for Jack's show. Um, And then he'd done. I I think I was doing other sitcoms and stuff on my own. So he was writing with a couple of guys. He was writing his tour. Mm -hmm. Um, And then at one point where I think he just needed an extra input, I received a call um, from the, the legendary Addison no Longer with us, but um, uh, Addison saying, Oi, Pete, Pete, we're all right for Jack, we're all right for Jack, and I thought, Yeah, I'd love to do that for the tour. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jack and I were in the room together for the first time, right. and I think we really sort of hit it off. Partly a weird thing, but we both have twin boys of almost exactly the same age, right. like mine are three weeks older than his are. Right. Um, and I think there was, you know, a lot of the stuff we were talking about was, Oh, God, world book day when you have to dress your kids up as a, oh god a bumblebee and gaffer tape and yeah. you know so so lots of routines that were kind of like we were talking about we, were similar life experiences and we just you know we got on well together and then after a couple of days of writing that Jack said and I always say it's the easiest question I've ever been asked in showbiz which is mm, I've got an idea for a sitcom would you like to write it with me <laughs> and I thought you know and this is relevant I thought that is about six hurdles jumped all at once yeah. there because you have yeah. you're always Thinking, oh, I've got a sitcom idea. I wonder if a star would do it. And yeah. here is a star who totally wants to do it. It's his idea, um, he's wanting someone to write it with. And, and you've already got a connection,
2: but a, yeah. a, a natural yeah. human connection. Yes. Because it's exactly. not as if you'd, sorry, I was deviating from Dave's carefully prepared questions here, but mm. it's not as if that was the first sitcom he'd ever written. I mean, he would have asked you to do a sitcom because he'd done some yeah. sitcoms before. Exactly. Yeah. And you bear some some scars and some wounds oh, I mean, what looking looking back on, and we talked about this on my blog, actually, because I interviewed yeah, you, did a written right, interview yeah. for my blog, but, um, you know, w- what were you learning from those previous forays into sitcom that you
1: sort of took with you into this Brave New World with Jack D? Uh, th- an awful lot, actually. I mean, my first two sitcoms were studio audience sitcoms. And uh, this is fascinating. This is the whole debate that's been going on at the moment and with um, the with Ben Elton's um, comedy um, lecture speech. Um, and so I had the first... Sitcom that I did was the thing called All Along the Watchtower, which was um, co-written with Trevelyan Evans, and um, we did it for BBC Scotland. And it was—I think it was a score draw. Actually, we did—we did—it did quite well in today's terms. It did amazingly. I think we, we got on a very strange time. It was time, wasn't really it? weird. They put us in the last of the summer wine slot, having well, initially been—we were going to thinking we were a sort of evening, possibly even post Watershed thing. They right. suddenly said, "Oh, this has got nice scenery in and not much swearing." In fact, this is exactly what happened with bad move (laughs) so I must have a theme no no real swearing in nice countryside but um, so we uh, went out um, strangely in this last of the summer wine slot and of course, last summer wine in those days was getting nine million. So we only got five million for mm. our first episode, and then fell off to four million and mm. sort of held there actually. Mm. Now, in today's terms, that would have been hallelujah, bring mm. it on, we got a hit. But in those days, that was not quite enough. So there was about a year of umming and ahhing and is it this and is it that? Mm. Um, and so we it finally didn't get a series, and then the second series was almost more relevant to what I learned because Trevelyan and I then um, thought, okay, we kind of been ignored to death on that one. But like all along the Watchtower, yeah, it was all right, but and you know, Trevelyan said we we need a big bold idea that people are going to either love or hate. Now they did one of those two things, <laughs> and so guess which one it was, job, job done. Job done. We thought, yeah. and it was it was Mr. Charity, um, starring Stephen Tompkinson, and it was essentially about uh, a man who was in the world of charity who really was in it for his own ends and just viewed cancer and dying kiddies and everything as another opportunity. We can we can fundraise on this. We can you know we can uh, make it into an opportunity, mm-hmm. and. I think it could have worked, but the strange thing was that initially it was going to be um, for BBC One and it was always going to be a, a studio audience sitcom and it was I suppose it was sort of in the world of Blackadder in terms of its you know evil central character yeah, and all yeah, that yeah. sort of stuff um,
2: and also Stephen Tomkinson had the um, do I mean Stephen Tomkinson? yeah yeah, yes. yeah he had uh,
1: Damien Dane in, in Drop the Dead Drop, Don't Drop the, the Dead Don- Don- was a million miles away and yeah. sort of oh look at my teddy yeah. bear and this, yeah. this yeah. kitty that yeah. I found and all that it's stuff a so doll. there was always a doll it, no matter what was a yeah, child's doll exactly yeah. all that stuff yeah. so all these th- <laughs> sort of things so Initially it was going to be uh, BBC One, Um, I don't know if it was pre-Watershed, but anyway BBC One just said no, whoa, whoa, cancer, kiddies, no, 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 you can't do this, let's move it to BBC Two. So it went out on BBC Two at 10 o'clock and I think none of us had the nows to say okay well if it's going out on BBC Two at 10 o'clock we can't have an old-fashioned studio audience sitcom with wobbly sets and what what have you and we didn't we actually and it was just around the time when I, I don't know if it predates the office I don't know but it was around the time when Probably the fashioned. royal the royal family royal yeah. family which yeah. of course mm. genius love yeah. the royal family mm. to pieces and suddenly they'd proved that you could be funny in a sort of more sort of measured way without a studio audience and suddenly ours looked very old fashioned so we almost we we were in the perfect storm that anyone who liked the content didn't like the form yeah. and anyone who liked the form didn't like the
0: content so yeah. um, it had so there's been, there'd been yeah. quite a bad run I think of audience sitcom that coincided with like a, the the rise of the uh, the, the non-audience, like you yeah. say, royal family yeah. type show. And that, I think that by the time we got to the office and then, and then my family came along and slightly restored the audience yeah. sitcom, but... But that was that was probably the people the are kind very of angry about about Stephen Moffat's
1: show called
2: Chalk. Yes, you know? oh, I remember that. Well, I remember, that yeah. Yeah. I remember yeah. you saying it was probably just before that, or yes, I, I think Chalk that. was um, probably just before. And it, funnily it, so enough, you know, since writing Coupling, he's decided, do you know what, I'm not going to bother with sitcom anymore. Yeah.
0: Mm. I know. Well, 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 I, he, I remember you, you saying about when uh, Coupling was a hit, and the first thing he said was, "Oh, thank God, at last, I'm not going to be remembered as the man who wrote Chalk."
1: Yeah, absolutely, because I mean, the vitriol you get, I do remember you know the, with mr. charity it wasn't uh, half and half I mean you know the words the words are engraved on my heart we never listen to critics obviously except oh. I can still remember you know a pile of fossilized dinosaur poo from sitcoms <laughs> Dark Ages, you know yeah. this is this is what it was um, I so had you to say, carry it around in your wallet right? yeah, like absolutely Eric, like Eric, I Eric
2: Morecambe had that review. <laughs> It, you know, what the television is the box they buried Malcolm and in? No. <laughs> yeah, he had yeah, that in yeah. his wallet apparently his yeah. whole career
0: just don't well, get James started on AA again no no <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs>
1: but, but the thing is that I have to say that although I wouldn't quite agree with the, the, those critics um, I do think there were some things which uh, weren't quite right about the central premise of Mr Charity I think there was a, a, a contrast between he was meant to be running this kind of global organisation and yeah. running big campaigns and everything but we also had downstairs the little charity shop where they had all the ridiculous yeah. uh, items to sell and he would get involved with that and I think that actually either one of those might have worked better I think that was the thing it was, it was, yeah. it was, that's what I felt was it a little charity shop sort of manager or, it, or was it a big it was guy two in, sitcoms in it, one it, it thing was, was and they didn't really they didn't yeah. really gel and also I think there was slightly a conflict about what um, or, or sorry a um, fuzziness about what our central character thought because I think really, if we're honest, Trevelyan and myself really thought, no, he's a shit, he's a shyster who actually just uses charity for his own ends and what a terrible thing if you did that. And I think um, Stephen Tomkinson, who played him brilliantly and really, really well, um, but Stephen sort of thought, no, he does think he's doing a good thing. He's kind of, and he was almost justifying it. And there was part of us that fudged it and thought, well, if Stephen thinks that, that's quite good because that's sort of what the character would say. He would think, no, 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 No. I'm doing something. And I think we should have been clear and said, look, is it that he's really doing it badly or not? But, but having said all that, the extraordinary thing about Mr. Charity was that the studio audience recordings went phenomenally well. They went mm. through the roof well, to the extent that the late, great Jeffrey Perkins actually commissioned a second series script on the strength of those wow. studio audience recordings. He said, I've never known studio audiences to love a sitcom so much when it hasn't gone out. They don't know these characters, and yet every joke is landing, everyone loves it. Great, great, great. I remember, yeah. And it it seemed, we really thought, oh, we've got a hit on our hands, until suddenly when you watch it go out, and this is why I, I wrestle with the whole thing about studio audience sitcoms mm-hmm. now, because when you watched it at home, somehow the laughter seemed a bit like, oh... Oh please! That's not that funny. It really isn't that yeah. funny. And I think you know other writers have said this, but there's a lot of things to be said about studio audience laughter. First of all, I think that when people say canned laughter nowadays, I think they actually don't even mean that it's been yeah. added on. They just refer to studio audience laughter as canned laughter. Oh, I hate canned laughter because a lot of writers go, "It's not canned laughter." It's. And I'm think, one of those people. Yeah, yeah no. and I actually think that most people, most punters now, don't understand that distinction they mean when they say I hate canned laughter they mean I hate studio audience laughter for a sitcom and I think also as everyone says the only thing we ever did on Mr. Charity and the only thing any writer I've ever heard say is we took it down whenever we yeah, could because yeah. we like, oh it's not that funny out of context it's not I think um, that's
0: I mean the thing that I learned most from my family was exactly that was that the magic that you see in a room and it's the same if you go to stand up yeah. um, the, the, the magic of being in the room and it and, and seeing the comedy uh it, getting that magic to then transfer into the into people's uh, living rooms that's there's a there's a point at which you lose it and i think that's a really interesting thing that when barry Cryer talked about how um when you've got when the person the main person talks to the camera mm. and like miranda did yeah. it and gary shandling did it and and Someone else did it, and and that uh, someone else person. I remember Barry Cry saying, so, "Oh, I learned that off Arthur Askey." Yeah, <laughs> and it is. It goes all the way back to that. So, it's it, how how do you? get the magic to, to cross over without having your main
1: character talk directly to the camera see I just don't know because some of my favourite sitcoms are most of my favourite sitcoms are studio audience sitcoms you know Forty Towers yeah. Father Ted yeah. Black Books Porridge, you know, yeah. porridge yeah. Uh, Likely Lads yeah. mm. you know Dad's Army um, those, those are good sitcoms Um, which have a studio audience and there's something weird that I've I've started to think now that generally I am getting to the point where I'm I'm very pleased for studio audience sitcoms to exist but my personal taste I've been finding more and more that when I'm watching a new studio audience sitcom I sort of go "Oh, I'm finding that laughter slightly intrusive not on the big jokes but on the little jokes the little Mm. ha 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 -ha," Mm. and I sort of get fed up with the rhythm but weirdly um, one that I watched recently and I didn't feel that at all was Upstart Crow Mm. and I thought now why is this I feel really comfortable with this laughter I like Upstart Crow I think it's actually a return to form it's the theatre isn't it it's like the theatre
0: tradition and so it feels like you're watching a play it's bigger and sillier
1: and of course they're expecting Mm. laughs they deliver it in a way where it's sort of you know it it, it invites that kind of laughter rather than any pretense at naturalism Mm. and so it's interesting because coming back to Bad Move full circle Bad Move could be a studio audience sitcom I think there are certain bits where you sort of think that's definitely, you know, call and response, laughs, gags where you could if you had a studio audience in there. I think you would you would get a reasonable amount of laughs. Mm. But we took a decision early on that we didn't want to do that, and I was fascinated. I thought is it possible to do an accessible mainstream sitcom with jokes in and yet not have a studio audience? Will the, will the audience even know what it is? Mm. And I think I think there's part of me that thinks that if it had had a, an audience the critics would have hated it more and maybe the core ITV audience would have liked it slightly more maybe they would it seems touch wood we're still 4 million viewers for the first 3 episodes uh, viewing figures holding albeit with that magnificent Coronation Street cushion God bless Coronation yeah. Street for protecting new comedy but um, so it's doing quite well um, but I, I, it's interesting I just wonder what um, would have happened if it was studio audience and whether we would have survived the levels of vitriol that we would have then got from the critics yeah. for daring to try to make people laugh. It's
2: really interesting that, um, I love how you're, when you talk about Mr. Charity and talk about what bad movie and the decisions that you're making, it's, it's incredible maybe to people listening that actually having a script with characters and jokes, and yeah, fine, that's not it, that's not enough. Yeah. And it reminds me of when there's an episode, I, I used to, I still do love watching Top Gear, Richard Hammond driving a Formula One car. He can it's almost undrivable because the brakes don't work until you're doing about 80 miles an hour. Until you get enough heat in the wheels, you can't and the idea that you just think, oh, I can have a go at that, driving, I can drive. But actually, yes. once you're really doing it to a high level, yeah. these other factors come into play like, oh, we should have been on this channel, but we're on that channel. The zeitgeist was away from studio, but it felt till to stu- and then there was a the premise of is it a charity shop or is it a charity that all these other things, it's like, on top of, does this scene make sense? Yes. Do these characters behave consistently and are there any jokes in well, it? Well, it's exactly,
0: incredible. Exactly. The number of plates you're spinning. I, I can't the remember exactly. what the, uh, what the um, some sort of cliche about uh, success loves, uh, something loves success and something else doesn't love failure. But when something doesn't work, we all know... Yeah, we've all worked on shows that yeah. don't work, yeah, and we spend a lot of time. You know, we know we we sit there and go, oh, "I've only you'd done it that way, and maybe that." And, and there's there are always so many what ifs. Mm. And when a show is a hit, there are really equally so many kind of
1: things that you mm. couldn't you couldn't have known at yeah. the time. Was not was it sorry to interrupt, was it yeah. David Rennick who said that, that thing about you have to have a perfect script, a perfect cast, a perfect director, a perfect everything, and then you still need a bit of sort of fairy yeah, dust yeah, to handle yeah, yeah. it. Right. something Quite extra probably, where you yeah. go, actually, no. this is this is greater than the sum of the parts. Yeah, it's, it's no. something it's taken on a life of its own. Yeah. Everything seems to be working well. Yeah. And and to come back to the question you asked about what did I learn from my first two sitcoms, mm. or particularly Mr. Charity, which was the one which was, you know, definitely perceived as a failure, um, and that was really to be very very hard on myself and the whole process at every stage and with Lead Balloon that came down to um, casting because um, we with Mr. Charity, I think there was, and there's another problem with studio audiences um, that some performers who maybe were great when you audition them, yeah. they do something slightly different when they're in front of an audience. Yeah, yeah. Now, someone a pro like Stephen Tompkinson can absolutely do that and does brilliantly to the audience, and it works both for the audience yeah. and it works for the people mm-hmm. at home. But some actors they just tend to ham it up a little bit more, and you go, "Oh no, you were good mm-hmm. in rehearsal, and now it's it's gone a little mm-hmm. bit big." Mm-hmm. Um, with um, Non with single camera sitcoms you sort of know what you're going to get you, you can audition and think right this is the performance I'm getting and all that yeah. so so, the casting is very very important and it so happened that in the first ever read through of um, Lead Balloon there was someone who had been um, cast in the provisional sort of uh, thing where um, they just weren't right I'm not even going to give them a gender mm-hmm. they, they, they just weren't right and it wasn't their fault they're a good actor actress and um, they they I just knew this isn't the this isn't the tone. The tone is kind of old-fashioned sitcom, and it's gonna it's going to be. And in the past, I'd have sat there and I thought at that read-through, oh well, you know, everyone else is really right for it, and I mean, you know, I suppose I'd have made all these kind of excuses to myself that and avoid a confrontation as well. And I just thought, Pete scroll forward a year of your life and you're going to get Mr Charity style reviews again they're going to go that person's really terrible and this is that and you know and I just thought life is too short I can't make this mistake again so I sort of you know I, I Talked to the director and we talked to Jack and um, and you know it was decided to recast. Had it, and I, I, had it turned out you'd all had a similar thought or? Um, yeah, the director did think the same, okay. and um, I think um, Jack was. It was difficult because Jack had always had this person in mind, oh, and okay. um, so it was just sort of like. But then he, he was. Yeah. He was correctly able to yeah. say I'm sorry the director and you know yeah. just think no not right and I don't think it would have done them any favours either because they wouldn't have been right for it yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so but what I learned was just just be hard. Be don't yeah. please, please don't think it will probably be all right. If mm. I'm having doubts, if I'm thinking this isn't right, God knows what a critic mm. who wants to stab every new sitcom to death is going to make. Of mm. it. They're going to they're going to think it's a weak point and go for you. So um, at every level, I've just I've just sort of thought you just have yeah. to be kind of really really hard. And just to finish off your um,
2: Mr. Charity thing, you were mm. saying that in the studio they went absolutely mad for yeah. so it. It was amazing. But I remember you telling me on another occasion that. When it actually went out on TV, you weren't so sure. Yeah. And then you got a phone call from your brother or something? Or
1: was it, is it that mine? Yes, right? so this is what was, there was one scene in particular which we played, set in the charity shop itself. Um, and it went so well, it was in one of the first recordings, that we thought, wow, we'll show this to the audience as a warm-up. So we showed the scene to the audience when they come into a new thing, go, oh, this is the sort of thing you're in for. And my brother was in the audience, actually, and he sat with 300 people or whatever it was in the studio audience and watched this, which, remember, now is TV, effectively, because you yeah. are watching it on screens, it's not the actors, it's just watching it there and everybody laughed and it was just you know every week it would get such big laughs and tee everyone up and you think right this is fantastic and then my brother watched it when it went out on telly at home on his own or with his family and he went oh it's funny because all the shrieking laughter and everything really annoyed me and he said (laughs) and and I realised that that's the extraordinary thing that it's a collective experience from that studio audience that when you're all watching it on a big screen like that you actually do think well actually this is this is funny we're all laughing we're all in on it and sometimes when you're at home it doesn't always happen but sometimes when you're at home you just think oh I'm not sure this is as funny as that silly audience well that's that's that again
0: is the thing like when you've you've got an audience of basically comedy fans which is a studio audience or a or a uh, stand up show and so and they they've all come to see they've all come out for the night to come and watch something funny and then when you think about the shows that gets sort of 10 12 million people watching them you it's like people are sitting down to watch Telly, they're not they're not comedy fans as such. So, um, so so you know they just think, oh, I like that. I like Morgan and Wise and I like I Claudius or whatever. They're not thinking, oh, I'm going to watch a comedy now. Um, or but there is a hysteria
1: as well that takes over with the studio audience because you're trying to whip them up you have a warm up person on there you yeah. have a, and actors aren't stupid if they try you the third time or something like that they go watch out for when i say knee that's going to be really funny and then they say something on my knee and it gets a big laugh mm-hmm. and everyone and you think oh, Now now that's an inexplicable laugh, which only makes sense if you were there. And I actually thought it was funny. It was one line on Bad Move when we were recording it, which of course is single camera. And I remember thinking, now that's a case in point for me of where a studio audience would have laughed and it would have annoyed me as a viewer. And it's interesting because it's in the first episode where Philip Jackson's character, the dad first arrives and he announces himself on the door and says, uh, oh, I would have rung, but you know what your landline's like, more crackling than a Sunday roast. Mm. Now, that would have got, that is exactly what that would have got. (laughs) Times 300 from a studio audience would have gone, (laughs) ha ha, like that. But of course, in reality, it's not meant to be a funny line. It's meant to be uh, a character line which shows he thinks he's funny and witty and he's done a line which is probably not his anyway. And so you're actually meant to sort of unlaugh at it and go, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah, here he is, Mr. Noel All Dad. And yet I don't know how you could ever say to the studio audience, no, I don't want you to laugh at that line. I don't want you to laugh at that. And it, and it is a bit of a problem. And I wonder, you know, the Americans seem to be able to do it. I don't know if they do a different sound balance or a different but the the laughter does seem to be less intrusive well again I'm only thinking of the good American shows yeah, I've watched yeah, plenty
0: of daytime American shows where I've gone oh my you, God, know, you just- know there are shows yes. other than Frasier and Friends and uh, Seinfeld <laughs> yes. were not that successful they weren't that, and that good, good. They, they were quite were, annoying yeah.
1: but I wonder if sometimes because you hear that they record them sort of like you know twice over and they treat the audience as cattle fodder and I wonder if the audience are so depressed that they don't <laughs> they don't laugh unless it's really funny and I that's... <laughs> think they just
0: you know they are ha- having having had to sit through recently uh, thanks to my daughter for that, some uh, truly truly awful <laughs> American teen sitcoms um, they uh, you know there's that they're, they're just kind of up for it a bit more I think and it's as much about that's kind of the cheerleader mentality I think as anything else you know anytime anyone comes into the room they yeah, get they do do that, yeah. Um, and yeah you know, every every single time every new character yeah you know, you're watching a scene and five people have come into the scene and by the time the fifth person comes in you just think oh for God's sake you know, what, what's going on here? And it's de- there's definitely something that is not about we're here because we're big comedy fans. There's definitely uh, some American... I don't, know, I, I don't want to be racist or anything. No, like, but I do agree
1: and, with the thing. I think there is a snobbishness. I think that the sort of things that Ben Elton was saying in his lecture, it is true that a studio audience sitcom seems to be a lot, more, a lot less welcome by mm. critics and definitely in this new world of Twitter that is the thing that people jump on and hate with a passion. Whereas if it's kind of cool and edgy and maybe isn't that funny, but it's dark and then it's given more time and it's, oh, you know, well, you know, we'll see how this goes. And, um, whereas that thing, if you, if you say this is definitely meant to be funny, here it is and here's a laugh and the audience is laughing and the critics think, oh, I don't think this is funny, then they're so much quicker to jump on it. And that's not really fair because, Mm. you know, obviously there is a demand for things. You know, Mrs. Brown's Boys, I'm not a fan of it other than the fact that it gets big viewing figures and I'm a fan of comedies getting big viewing figures because it Mm. reminds people if you get it right, then there is an audience. I also do think that it's, you know, it would be foolish just to dismiss it out of hand and think, oh, well, that's rubbish because there's a lot of other people who tried to do that and didn't succeed. So he's clearly getting something right at the heart of it. You know,
0: Well, if you look at the last few successes I mean Upstart Crow as you say is a very sort of stylised theatrical mm. thing so that allows an audience that allows you the rhythms of the, the like the sort of Shakespearean mm. sub-Shakespearean poetry of the script then you've got Miranda Mrs. Brown's boys not going out they're all basically yeah. writer performer fronted yeah. uh, you know talking to camera not so much not going out but you know Lee Mack is just a kind of figure that everybody likes to watch on telly so That seems to be if you want to make an audience sitcom now, you have to be uh, making it. You know that there has to be a very strong performance Mm. element, either in the plot Mm. itself Mm. or in the fact of who is the main person in the Mm. cast. Yeah, yeah. No, there's always. It feels like
2: you have to think of some gimmick or device Mm. so you can get away with it, rather than just saying no, no. This sort of thing would work better in front of a studio audience. (laughs) Yeah. And yes. that, that seems a shame to me because it's not, it, also, it's not as if the studio audience is a throwback because the some weeks the biggest sitcom on TV, amazingly, is Big Bang Theory, mm. um, you know, mm. it, which is a new show being still made and mm. it's incredibly popular. So it's not mm. as if kids are watching studio sitcoms going what is this why can I hear yeah, exactly. laughter uh, friends everyone yeah yeah, everyone,
0: yeah, yeah. like yeah. you say uh, the, the show that is the most popular comedy show on BBC about for about 40 weeks every year Dad's Army yeah. Dad's Army it still
2: yeah. wins BBC mm-hmm. 2 yeah. every, every week <laughs> yeah, every yeah. week yeah we've had um, so that's interesting to go to about bad moving the sort of sitcom stuff it'd be good to talk about your work on panel games and that kind of thing I wonder if we've had quite a few Questions haven't we from our uh, Facebook? Yes.
0: Oh, we have. Facebook uh, likers. Just, Do any of those relate to? Uh, well, actually, well, we, we might might as well because there's still quite a lot about um, bad uh, bad move. And um, for instance, uh, so if you follow us
2: on Facebook, for example, if you look up Sitcom Geeks on Facebook, you can be part of this kind of discussion in the future even more so if you follow if you're a Patreon subscriber but maybe mm. I'll, remember I'll talk to about that in a moment. moment
0: so uh, yeah. so a question to, to uh, let's. I'll, 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 I'll get all the questions for you anyway about um, bad move, and you can sort of answer the composite I suppose uh, Michael Linwood
1: says don't mention the football so I won't uh, <laughs> they have day after <laughs> Scotland reference yes okay. in spite of my accent I'm a proud Scott. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or is that an embarrassed Scot? <laughs> yeah
0: Griff Phillips, you've sort of answered this to some extent, um, where he said, "'Did they know Bad Move was planned for an 8pm time slot? "'If so, how did that affect the writing?' um paul lamb asks um, when do you decide you've written enough re rewrites which made me laugh a lot because uh, having written with pete a lot i know pete likes a rewrite um uh, yeah, that, and even, then, even during the editing process <laughs> we'll rewrite that. absolutely john hamilton says uh when working with jack d who types and who looks out the
1: window Great, Okay. Well, to answer them in order, the first one about the 8pm. It was interesting, actually, because, and I think this is very relevant, uh, we didn't intend it to be pre-Watershed. We just wrote something that Jack and I liked and made us laugh. And um, we then, when there was a, a read-through, a table read and, uh, for, for ITV with the, the cast, um, and afterwards they said, oh, do you know, take out about half a dozen swear words and that could be pre-Watershed. Mm. And we went, oh, F-ful. yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that <again>. Come on, <laughs> go. we were <went>, we quick. <laughs> <that laughs> <week. laughs> but we thought, oh. That's interesting, yeah, okay. Um why not? No, don't object to that at all. Yeah. Um Let Balloon swear. funnily enough, Let Balloon never had the F word in, was there's, there's something where, you know, I you know, I like the thick of it, it's great, it's it's mm. an art form. But I also think there's a thing that once you start doing that, um, in a normal comedy when you're doing, you know, F this and it's kinda of funny so you have to do it again. Whereas if you never do it, it's yeah. like yeah. Uh, so we didn't mind that and um so we actually then said, yeah, okay, okay, let's, let's go for it, pre-watershed. So I think we were aware when we were writing it that obviously you couldn't go into sort of subject matter or anything that was not suitable for pre-watershed. Um, but other than that, the only thing I think we would say that we in any way... Um, let it affect our writing, was we were aware of the need maybe to have slightly bigger events happen, even though I like to think and hope that the reactions of the Mm -hmm. characters to the big events were naturalistic. I actually missed out the question which is sort of relevant
0: to that as well which is from Ed Ryder he said how did the premise and storylines develop Mm -hmm.
1: well that's yeah exactly well that was so So, but as I say that so Jack and I you know the idea of some people because you you know you shouldn't pay too much attention to what people say on Twitter but lots of people but one of the things I love is that Lead Balloon has now officially become the funniest sitcom ever the most classic sitcom in order to use it as a stick to beat a bad move with how could the people who wrote the class classic lead balloon think this was funny and There award winning <laughs> uh, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and there, is a, there is a part of you that thinks well do you know what you should really think about that because we do think it's funny yeah. and that might just be something that we're seeing that you're missing it may not yeah. but I do think that there's a, a, an assumption from some people that oh Jack and Pete knew they were writing 8 o'clock ITV so they just couldn't care less oh anything just make fun of the audience and you know we yeah because in- yeah, that's how you work in television yeah. isn't it you right. think we'll have a much bigger audience so we won't bother yeah. let's <laughs> patronize <compromise> them let's <laughs> do that and there was not a bit of that I say that we stand by everything. Wrote. We We wrote it for ourselves, we like what we wrote and I'm very proud of what we wrote and I think if you look hard enough and carefully I think you'll find a lot of the things that were in Lead Balloon are also in bad move in terms of plotting and character and uh, and a general kind of depressed attitude actually. <laughs> yeah, tell me that. I'm kind of quite pleased that we're <laughs> managing to get four million people watching that. Yeah. Um, but um, So as for the premise um, and how that came, that was very much Jack um, was the one who we were we were thinking of ideas between us um and jack said at one point well what about just moving to the country we'd actually we weirdly we'd been thinking about how about if jack suddenly or jack's character suddenly found himself inheriting a business and he had to run a business and it was um, he didn't really know anything about it and, and then we were sort of saying well what could it be maybe oh maybe it's a, a sort of rental cottage rental place out in the country or something and then and then jack just suddenly said well what about just they move to the country and they hate it and I thought, yeah, well, you <laughs> know, why not? That's that's a really good idea because Jack has genuinely watched lots of Escape to the Country um, and he and his wife and his wife keeps falling for it and going Jack we should really move to the country and they did at one point they did actually make a move to like we're going to move out from London, we're actually going to move down there mm. and they hated it, they absolutely hated it and thought oh no what have we done and luckily they hadn't actually sold all their, their place in London things so they did a quick about turn and you know sort of like yeah. that was the end of it But um, so Jack mm. just sort of thought um, what about moving to the country and then one of the first decisions we made was it shouldn't be Londoners moving to the west country which would be the obvious thing because there's a bit of a danger then that it becomes sort of posh Londoners and sort of yokels and we really didn't want that Jack always describes it as town mouse and country mouse, it's just some people find the country right for them, some mm-hmm. people find the town right for them and that's why we made it that um, they'd been living in Leeds before and that um, Nikki, which is played by Kerry Godliman, that she um, came from Leeds and Jack had met it's a second marriage which it often is on these escape to the country things so a second marriage they've been living happily in Leeds or not quite happily because they thought what they really needed to do was to move to this beautiful place in the countryside which is remote Mm. and only when they get there and live there do they think but we can't just phone out for a curry oh my god we can't get this we can't get that and the house is um, you know, flooding and and what have you but I think at its centre was just uh, as someone else described it Jack being grumpy in the countryside, which is is kind <laughs> yeah, of like you know, like, right? What well, you know, that's enough uh, to be going on. Things, yeah, yeah, things will yeah. things will upset him, and that's what we yeah. want to see. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so what else? There was the um, um, thing about yeah. who oh, who types. Who, uh, pretty much, it's it's I type, and and Jack is the window starer in right. that uh, okay. combination. Um, and um, when do you decide for the rewrites? The rewrites. <laughs> well, as as you know, Dave. Yes, I am. I'm a big fan of rewriting. I completely agree with that. Thing that you know the art of writing is rewriting. But I also think that the art of writing is writing anything first. That's my one tip if anyone asks about how do I write, I say just write it. If you think that you've got an idea, then instead of just having it in your head, get it on, on paper or on mm. screen, and then you've got something to look at. You can go, oh well, and you can show people you say, What do you think? And and you'll learn something, and then you can go and do another draft, or you can even go, actually, that idea doesn't work. Now. It'd be easier to write something else. But if you don't actually write write it you won't have anything to to rewrite or to learn mm-hmm. from um, but then yes in terms of the, the writing process we'll write it and then we'll definitely do a second draft a third draft then there's a table read and at that, you can find certain things that aren't particularly working. Mm-hmm. And then even then, we like, again, we always did this in Lead Balloon and we had the luxury of doing it on Bad Move. We did have rehearsals with yeah. the actors when you'd get the actors in yeah. and just, you know, rehearse all their scenes and go through Saves it. Saves you so much time on the it shoot. It really does. It really yeah. does. When you're out there, you just sort of think, we've done all this. We know what we're going. And even occasionally, because I was always on set, um, mm-hmm. I, I must admit, I really, really... Practically insist on being on set because then you're just there, and there's a couple of times when you can just go, "Oh, do you remember in rehearsal you did you did it that way?" And, yeah. and they go, "Oh yeah, I did, I did." Yeah. You know, but you've you've done it before, so you're not mm. trying to articulate it. Yeah. Um, and also, there's
2: always an unexpected problem on the day yes. that a prop is not what you expected. Yeah. Oh, you have to be inside because it's now raining, and oh, yes. it's just like well, we now we now need a line to acknowledge that uh, if you, the writer, aren't there, <laughs> then they'll come up with one. And it's not so much that because they come up and they're idiots, so it'll be rubbish. It's like it's not their job to go out with one. Exactly. And so they, and so you know, no, the writing They won't the come up with the best one. We were, no. we were
1: stupid enough to set a, a party scene where the whole thing was. Gosh, what do you know? It's completely sunny, <laughs> and what do you know? In Yorkshire in May, it wasn't completely <laughs> no sunny. Way. So there was exactly that <laughs> yes, uh, Let's re- get all references to the to the weather. We'll go instead of this. We'll have that scene instead of that, you know. So. <laughs> Um, yes, you are needed for that. In
2: terms of just a quick glance on the who, what, who writes, who stares out the window, there is There's an extent to which there is obviously a power imbalance with regard to which I'm, I'm yeah. sure is, because having you know worked with Miranda and with Milton Jones, there's an element of it's your show, it's your, yeah. it's your face, and if you don't want to say the line, then you're not going to say it, and I can't make you yeah. say it. So there's an extent to which they sort of have the casting vote.
1: Well, this is the extraordinary, How do you- yeah, the extraordinary thing about Jack is he has such a lack of ego that it honestly, I would say, is a genuine 50-50 thing. Um, which is quite extraordinary. And it's not the case when we're working on his stand up. When we're working mm. on his stand up, he types, right. and myself and Mark Burton, another writer, kind right. of come in for the odd session. And you often say, like, you know, I hear laughing, but I don't hear any typing. <laughs> like, yeah, that's great. Not going in, though, is it? You know, and then occasionally, you're like, okay, yeah, he, he does really like that. But <laughs> yeah, honestly. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I love that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But um, But with the sitcom, um, I, I think, I mean, as Jack and I work together we really do we really do um, trust each other but also Jack annoyingly is an extraordinarily good writer he really is a mm-hmm. writer he's you know he is some people think oh you probably write it all and or most of it and he just puts his name to it no it's it is 50-50, and mm-hmm. he's a really really good writer in his own um, uh, accord but um, the, the the thing is he doesn't pull rank like that just occasionally in Lead Balloon just occasionally when and I guess Lead Balloon was even more about him because I think this sitcom is very much about oh, Steve and Nicky it's, yeah. it's a couple movies and a version of a comedian yeah. in Lead Balloon yes exactly like, so um, it was a less successful yeah. version of Jack so it was nearer to his um, experience and just occasionally there would be things where if we were kind of like trying to think of okay what's the basic idea for this these episodes we've got a new series what do we do and there's some where I think I really like that and I just kind of think I don't see Jack's eyes lighting up I just go there's no point really if he's, if he's yeah, enthused by yeah. this one and I like it as well let's yeah. go there but in terms of the actual day-to-day um, writing and thing, mm. I never get the sense of Jack pulling rank it's a genuinely equal partnership yeah. and um, God yeah. bless him for that yeah, it's, yeah. it's incredible
2: and I presume you probably have worked with people for whom that has been a bit more of an issue and you've
1: just got to yeah. suck it up and get on with it yes I mean certainly when you, you sort of Um, I mean there are jobs when you're servicing someone um, where it's you know like on uh, Mark Steele's in town the radio thing which I write I write additional material and it is the very definition of additional Mm -hmm. material because Mark does all the hard work all the research reads all the books goes and visits the place then does a first draft of the script and I literally it's almost a script editing job of looking through it and thinking oh I didn't quite understand that would that bit go better here and a few places where it's like either there's a gag missing so we try and think of one between us or mm. there could be a better gag there but it's absolutely totally Mark's voice mm. Mark's show and you know there's really you know there's um, and, and, and when you're writing on panel shows even more so Mark Lamar used to have a lovely face on Buzzcocks when uh, occasionally when I, I like to uh, stand my ground and go that's a really Good joke, well, that's It's a really good joke. You should do it, and you just go get your own pop quiz. <laughs> that's a lovely way of just going, listen, pal. <laughs> yeah, you, you may think so. I ain't gonna say it, <laughs> and um, you know, that's that's fair enough. Get your own, get your own
0: pop, pop. pop quiz. <laughs> well, I, play, I, 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 don't, I don't know if you find this, but generally, I think the more, um, the, the sort of bigger and more successful by and large. With the panel mm. shows where there's always a good like like have I got news where yeah. it's a quite a well known person by and large the more successful and the more kind of secure person yeah. tends that the the slightly easier it is than maybe somebody who's not quite so secure somebody who's newly uh, yeah. a star or something or is on the way up and they I I my ex- limited experience of that was that they were the more difficult
2: yeah yeah the they don't yeah. really know who they are and they don't quite know. In a way, maybe because of the beauty of working when I work with Milton is he really knows what works for him. Yes. And so occasionally, I'll um, you know if I'm writing up a scene or something, and then I notice that on the next draft a joke is missing. I'll go. I might just go. Oh, I thought there was a joke here about something. Mainly because I'm thinking I think, you was know, in a different scene, or I can't remember, or did I dream it or something? Um, and Milton might just go, Yeah, didn't really quite. And I go. I'd be more surprised and just go, oh, because it's sort of quite a similar construction to this other joke that we've done that works really well. And he's just like
1: yeah I no, yeah. You know, <laughs> so you know and we
2: sometimes joke that we sort of want to go onto the talk back and just go say the joke you know what I mean it's like do it and they're not and you want to respect because the reason that they've got their own show is they know what works for them yeah. and exactly. you, want, you want to respect that and honour it and work with it mm-hmm. rather than just thinking that you know better and actually
1: you know you yeah. probably don't exactly yeah. well I always say that my own experience as a failed stand-up actually helped me as a writer in two ways Um, First of all, it really, really taught me um, the danger of saying something that you think is funny but isn't. It has a real consequence. When you're on stage and you go and you tell a joke and there is no laughter, it's a terrible, terrible feeling. And I always think when you're writing something, even if it doesn't have an audience, you should remember that. Oh, we thought that was funny and it isn't. That, that's a bad thing so you should be very you know you should question yourself very harshly and say is that really funny though would it get an actual laugh from people or is it just mm. half funny will it do and that that's the thing and the other thing is that because I tried and failed this is in the early 80s around the time when uh, I first met Dave um, not just as the three liars I, mm. I I failed as the one charlatan or whatever I was <laughs> when I was on my own I mean, um, but I was alright exactly the frustrating thing was I did some good gigs uh, and then yeah, I'd that. do the same set the next time and it would fail and so I I didn't have those skills, those performance skills that uh, good stand-ups do, and therefore, when I see them getting laughs, instead of being jealous, I think, "Oh, good," because I'd have screwed that joke up, and yeah. they haven't. So they have that skill, and I don't. You know, I, there's not a jealousy. There's not a mm-hmm. sort of, um, "Oh, I wish I was you." I'm uh, trying to write myself into parts. I'm like really happy being a writer. Yeah. When I when I first went from stand-up to weekending. Yeah. I thought, oh, I seem to be able to do this naturally well yeah. in a way and also to be objective about it in a way I couldn't be with comedy. Yeah. i am sort of like with stand-up, I'm, oh no, why this is all a personal agony. Right. Whereas if a producer didn't like my jokes on weekending, i think, oh, that's interesting. I wonder if they're right or I am. And I'd go away yeah. and I'd think and but it never felt personal, it just felt like a, a, an intellectual exercise in is this funny? Yeah. Are they right? Could I learn something?
0: It's so, interesting, because I I had a kind of sort of reverse problem to that, because I found I did quite a lot of work on On quite a lot of panel shows over a period of years, and uh, it took me quite a long time to uh, not feel bad when I'd say something which I'd sort of, and and the room would sit in silence as I said this thing. Uh, I would think I'd be going, you know, if I did that on stage, you know, that that line would get a laugh, or if it didn't get a laugh, I'd be able to kind of deal with it or maybe I could try it again and change a word or something and get a lot. And it, and, and, and I think there is definitely something in this, in this kind of writer versus writer-performer thing. When you're writing for a show um, and there is a performer there, even if you are have performing abilities, you, you have to park the performer out of the room. You have to just be the writer when you're in there. It reminds
2: me of how are people... Uh, say when I go and so I'm doing the show called A Monk's Tale, and um, I wrote it about Martin Luther, and I go and see it every, you know, eight or ten shows on the tour when i sort of when it's near my house roughly, and I laugh when I'm when I'm watching it, and you know, one or two people who know I'm the writer saying, oh, laughing at great <laughs> jokes, and actually for me it's no, I'm laughing at the way they're doing yeah, it. I, do. I yes, they yes. they've sort of a better way of doing it than I thought, or I just find the way they do that line yeah. really funny. Yeah, the jokes true. fine. Yeah. you know but it's it's actually enjoying other people's gifts absolutely. I think is really important yeah, Absolutely, yeah. and it it, when it does take a long time to tune into that you've got to in one yeah. sense it's a bit more about growing up and knowing who you are to some extent yeah. but um, it is it is hard it's
0: taken me about 35 years but I've well, just done, got well done well <laughs> yeah. done yes. yeah it's good. So, one thing, actually, I did want to ask, I and mean, it seems like a small point, but it, it does, um, with the, your titles, you know, Bad, bad <laughs> Move,
1: Lead Balloon, you do kind of, I, I'm guessing that this is Jack, not you. Uh, it's both so, of us, but yeah. it's definitely bringing it on. I I must admit, I did love someone who actually on one of the social media went, uh, bad move, anyone spot the irony? And I thought, listen, mate, we not Lovely. only wrote Lead Balloon, but yeah. the first episode ever of Lead Balloon was called Rubbish. <laughs> do you think, do you not spot the irony of you thinking that we somehow yeah, yeah, missed yeah. that Bad Move yeah. could be? I, I think it just, it very much fits Jack's downbeat, you know, yeah. shit will happen sort of personality. Yeah, so um, so I like that. I mean, I loved Lead Balloon as a title. And it's a great Bad event. Move, I thought, well, funny enough, actually... actually... Actually, Bad Move had a working title for a long time, um, which... It would have been very confusing. It was wrong, and that was escape from the country. It was that was what it was. was right. um, and it was kind of like, yeah, it sort of says what you're trying to do, which is you've gone to the country and now you hate it and you've watched the property shows. But also, everyone would have thought it was a property show. And yeah, it would have been there. So it was a, an early stage. ITV did some audience research and went, "You're not calling it escape yeah. from the country." <laughs> and it's one of those where we went, "Yeah, it's a fair cop." And yeah. then we had, "This is this is lovely. This is." Uh, um, we then had a lunch hour and we went, right, okay, me and Jack sat there and thought, right, okay, we've got to think of another title then. Oh, it's quite, you know, it's all going ahead. We've got to think of a title, we've got to think of a title. And uh, what I love, this is the most tragic assist in, in yeah. comedy history. Um, we're looking and I was sort of thinking anything, just brainstorm, say anything. And I went at one point, I went, mm, good move. And Jack went, well, bad move. <laughs> I thought, yeah, yeah. How about a title that doesn't have to be said with a sarcastic inflection to yeah. make any sense? Yeah, yeah. But it was just like I thought. I oh, want an idiot to discover to think of good move and yeah. leave it for him to tap in? Yeah. Bad move. Yeah, yeah. I'll do. I'll take that. I'll take an assist. Yeah. <laughs>
2: So, I just
0: wanted to ta- talk a little bit about gag writing really because uh, it seems that there's a very small number of people who actually do make a living out of gag writing. I mean, minuscule number, isn't it? Really, it's barely into double figures. And do you think it is something that that, that you can learn or that can be taught?
1: Um I I would have imagined it is. I mean, I'm sort of I feel I'm out of the loop to a certain extent with the Um, gag writing now because the only one I still do is have I got news for you there was a time when I did they think it's all over never mind the buzzcocks and have I got news for you Um, and so I'm not really aware of how big a pool of people there are but to me it does seem almost um, you know cynically like an exercise I sometimes say it's almost like completing a crossword you that's news story A, comedy stereotype B, equals gag C. And you can, occasionally, you do have people on totally separate shows come up with exactly the same gag and you think, yeah, that's that's not plagiarism, that's the the gag, it's like the answer to a puzzle, it's an algebra equation. And, you know, that's at the most cynical. Now, of course, what is brilliant is when uh, whoever it is in the room suddenly doesn't do that at all and says something completely left field where you go, Oh wow! And that's yeah. always the funniest gag. Yeah, that's the one that, yeah, that, that yeah. wasn't there. But I always think, you know, on an off day, you can fall back on all those years of training and go, okay, what's the ones, what's the things that people laugh about yeah. about that person? What, how does it pertain to, um, you know, this particular thing? And um, so I, I'm I'm surprised um, that there is a small pool if that if that's true because it does seem to me that there is a sort of there is a kind of process to it I think it's probably easier if I was Well, everyone says you know start off if you want to write a sitcom start off writing one-liners or um, sketches. small sketches and then build up because the principles are the same um, you know even within even within a, a one-liner you know we do spend a lot of time at Have I Got News for You honing the actual phrasing of the one-liner to mm. do you know that'll now with those words in that order it'll get a really big laugh as opposed to a slightly big laugh and, and I think that's definitely the same in a sitcom but yeah. Um, so um, yeah I mean I think I think, uh, I, I think one liners are something that people should practice but, but people do get it on Twitter people out there yeah. sadly it is a problem I think for topical shows that out there on Twitter there are you know the, the pool of people up and down the country you know, it only yeah. has to be 10,000 people who can write the odd good gag and everyone's going to, any news story breaks, there's 20 good gags on there where you go, yeah, yeah actually, they're all perfectly serviceable gags. Yeah. Whether the same person could do them week after week after week, yeah. I don't know, but... Um,
0: um, yes, got a question from Maxine Jones uh, from the Patreon site, the Patreon, uh, which James mentioned earlier, it's the uh, website, you can uh, you can become a sitcom geek's angel. You can invest in us Find out more. Go to the Patreon website and that, and, and type in "sitcom geeks" and you'll find out all about it there. Uh, Maxine Jones says, um, "I notice that all the ma- all the writers on Have I Got News for You are male."
1: Um, the vast majority are. Yeah. Um, there are. Uh, is there some, some... Gen- genetic thing? I <laughs> I don't think so. Um, is it um, Christine Rose? She writes. Uh, for having got news for you sometimes, doesn't it? Sarah you? Morgan. Uh, does Sarah write? Sarah, Sarah certainly on. Well, all I can say is on Newsoids, uh which I wrote for the puppet sketch show, um, there were a lot of uh, female writers there um, Gabby Hutchinson Crouch, Sarah Morgan, um, Madeline Breton. Well. Yeah, no, There um, are more
0: female writers uh, coming through, but uh, yes, yeah, it is interesting that, that somehow on well, Have I Got News, there's still. It's still a little bit male, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think it is, and um, that's that's sad. I think, uh, certainly, I don't, I don't employ the writers. <laughs> um, yeah. And um, I very much enjoy it. I, I did genuinely think it was a uh, breath of fresh air on Newsoids to be uh, sometimes actually in the minority as a man, and it just had a different... Some news stories, you would just have a different perspective on it, um, which I'm not saying every man thinks one way and every woman thinks one way, but there are certain sketches where I think one of the women writers thought of something I thought that's not an angle I would ever have thought of but your life experience is different and so you do and that's very funny uh, but um um so yeah that's the, there's there's no reason no genetically wired reason not like oh, right. not like Scotland losing to Slovenia which according to Gordon Strachan was genetics uh there's no reason that women can't part for the news for you. At that point
2: we have been yabbering so long we realised we had to give up the room in which we were recording kindly provided by PBJ management our thanks go to the delightful and passionate Pete Sinclair, and you can read an interview with him on my blog at sitcomgeek.blogspot.com that I did uh, a few years ago. I'll put a link up to that on our Facebook page. You find us on Facebook and also our new podcast Twitter handle at sitcomgeeks. So uh, do please consider chipping in to help fund the show via Patreon. There are a few levels where you can get stuck in, including secret subscriber-only podcasts, and more besides so have a look at that but in the meantime thank you for listening and speak to you again next
0: time